Hey, JT. Hey, Jeremy. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, buddy, what's up? Do you want to watch this movie? It's way back from the 80s. I never watch it anymore. Not since I had cable TV. I might have really liked it, but maybe not. I guess we'll just have to see. Would you want to watch this movie? I can't promise it's a good movie. Let's proceed. October 11th, 1985. With a Metacritic score of 100 minus 10. Yeah, that's right. We got a 90 going here, JT. This is the weirdest movie ever made with a Metacritic score in the 90s. <laughs> I, I, I would... I would wager that. I think actually might, I might go do some homework this week and go find a weirder movie with a 90 or higher on the Metacritic. Starring, are you ready for this cast? How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to have you explain this movie to me in any way. Are you still a little shell-shocked from that trailer? I am so utterly confused right now. Yeah. Like, just confused. So... For those of you who know the movie After Hours, you know what I'm saying here. For those of you who don't, basically, as I watched JT watch the trailer, one of the thoughts that went through my head is, how could they even have made a trailer for this movie? It would just make no sense. Like, there's, it couldn't, I, I don't even understand the trailer. So, we've got Griffin Dunn, Rosanna Arquette, Verna Bloom from uh, Animal House and other movies, Cheech and Chong, Linda Fiorentino, Terry Gar, Catherine O'Hara. I mean, it's an amazing, and more, and then it's amazing cast. It's directed by a pair of eyebrows before we even knew they were a pair of eyebrows. I mean, this is actually mid-Scorsese's like major ascent to the Scorsese we have today. So this is like all-star territory going on here. And it's crazy. So before we dive in, though, much like our Iron Eagle episode a few weeks back, we have a guest contributor, a fellow Gen Xer, my brother-in-law, Dan, who helped me piece together much of the story because, to be honest, much like the tra- – I probably remember the trailer is basically what my guess would be. Like, just these weird <laughs> vignettes of things that somehow are glued together, and he remembered the main arc. So it's like, all right, I got something going here. So thanks, Dan. JT, you ever have a bad night? Oh, yeah, sure have. Now, can you think of a time, and I'm going to assume it's like a slightly younger JT, when maybe you went out, stayed out a little too late, shenanigans ensued, and the next day you were like, what was I thinking? Yeah, let's yeah, let's say it was a younger JT. That makes me feel better about me, sure. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now, okay, I want you to picture one of those nights and sort of keep that memory in your head. But now wait, JT, have you ever had a friend share a story of like a worse night than that? Oh, of course. Okay. So whatever stories you're picturing there, buddy, After Hours is a story of a night worse than those, but like Six Sigma worse than those. Like just <laughs> radically worse and different. And and I'm just going to be honest, this is just a bizarro movie, right? And because it's the 80s, again, we got away with that kind of stuff. Here's what I do have pieced together from uh, from the old memory banks combined with, again, some of, some of Dan's thoughts on this. Griffin Dunn is sort of your average guy with some kind of desk job. I don't know, it could be an accountant or like a businessman or whatever, right? I, and maybe that actually has more significance than, than I recall, but but I don't. Now, one day, he's fixed up on a some kind of blind date situation. Now, JT, a blind date is like Match.com, but with no photos. All right. All right, snarky. 
Okay. <laughs> he goes to this date, and I don't. I, along the way, he loses his money uh, because he's using. He's got cash. Cash is like um, a paper version of Venmo. All right. All right. <laughs> the last of those, I promise. <laughs> uh, he shows up at this restaurant, you know, penniless at this point. And happens to be that it's a lovely Rosanna Arquette waiting for him. And everything's going fine on their blind date. They're having a cup of wine or whatever. I don't remember why or how, but he sees like some kind of weird burn marks on her. I don't know why they're there. I don't remember the reveal. I don't actually think it's like a nasty thing. Just just something that had happened. But I do recall that his reaction was severe. And I think he does the climb out the window, bathroom window trick. Okay. But like, maybe not on purpose, like maybe something has happened in the bathroom that makes him go out the window. You know, one of the big things for me and good movies and, and, and a lot of like the real movie critics will talk about this better than I will, is the notion of characters having agency, which means like they are in control of the events that happen around them. And like the best stories are where the characters are in control of the events that ensue. And those are the most satisfying movies to watch. Here we have a movie with zero character agency, and yet it somehow works. Like, events just keep happening to him. Things happen upon Mr. Dunn. A series of mishaps that, again, would put anything you can think of to shame. Basically, he runs from, like, one nightmarish scenario to another, meeting increasingly weird characters. So much so that I don't recall all the specific interactions, but they're all just weird and in each case, he basically has to run or sneak his way out of what's going on. I remember there's like a crazy bartender who's literally trying to kill him because I think he suspects him of hitting on his girlfriend or something minor. Like, And in each case, it's like, it's not supposed to be what happened and he just can't explain his way out of it. It's like circumstantial events times a thousand. But instead of it being like terribly annoying, which it sounds like it should be. It just somehow works. Maybe that's Scorsese's magic. Maybe it's such a good cast, such good writing. I don't know, but all of these sequence events are bizarro land. He runs into Cheech and Chong who are robbing what I, I believe a truck. And then that turns into one of those chase scenes where like they're hanging on to the edge of a truck and things are falling out and he's getting chased by the cops. And he probably falls off the truck into like a trash dumpster and the cops run by but then while coming out of the dump, the next thing happens. It's one of those. Like everything yep. leads into the next thing all night long. Now, we have Terry Garr uh, from The Sting Part 2, which we've talked about. We have Linda Fiorentino from Gotcha. And we have Catherine O'Hara, who for some reason has not yet made it into one of our crazy 80s movie. But we all love Catherine O'Hara so much that that's okay. Yeah, uh, He ends up... With each of them, and I think Verna Bloom as well, there's some kind of like high drama tryst kind of like moments. Like maybe he's at a party, maybe he's in their apartments. I don't recall what each of their shtick was. I do think that Terry Gar was like crazy depressed in it and is like like sob story kind of the whole thing. And he's just trying to get out of that. I can't recall them all. I think maybe Catherine O'Hara was the girl in the bar that the bartender got mad at him about. But the one I do remember is Linda Fiorentino, because this is like the like the scene of the movie. I'm going to assume when you were watching that preview, JT, did you see like maybe almost like a Nickelodeon, like white slime being poured all over Griffin Dunn's head? Was that in the movie? In the yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked like paint. Yes. It looked like paint. OK, cool. So it turns out it's papier mache. And Linda Fiorentino... 
And by the way, again, this is just my memory. I could have been one of the other characters, but I, I really think it's Lydia Fiorentino. She's like an avant-garde artist and she's got this like crazy cool loft space, probably, I guess, Hell's Kitchen because it was the 80s and like you wouldn't normally do something in Hell's Kitchen back then or like the meatpacking district because this is, dev. oh yeah, this is like serious, like New York movie. And you know how like Scorsese loves New York. I think this is one of his like ode to the undercurrents and the oddities of New York. I, I would say that's probably what the movie truly is. I really actually right now want to rewatch it now that I live in the New York area and get much more of a feel for it. Anyhow, he's he's met Linda Fiorentino and he's in her loft and there's these weird mannequin-like statues all over the apartment because uh, that's what her art is. She makes these crazy-looking statues. They all have these weird poses. So I think he maybe volunteers to help her out or she's like, hey, come do art with me or something like that. Anyhow, that results in him being covered in... Uh, in I guess, flour and water to make papé mache And she makes a full-on statue out of him. I don't fully exactly recall how it perfectly plays out, but basically it like encases him and like hardens around him and he can't move. But some, again, some weird sequence of events, he finds his way out and maybe sneaks out of the apartment through what I think is like like a trash pipe. Like, you know, when they're doing construction on, on a building and they have one of those like... Uh, yeah, the shoots shoot thing yeah shoot so i think i think it's through that and again i believe he ends up in a dumpster maybe two three could be a dozen times in this movie for all i know now a lot of the sequences remember the, the central plot point is he has no money and has to get home and again without ubers and all that kind of stuff much much harder for him than uh than modern times might be so a lot of the sequences involve him almost getting money like he helps one person out and because they'll give him some side change for helping out with something I think if memory serves that he finds like there's a $20 bill in one of the Papier-Mâché statues that he like rips off or something like that. I don't know. There's also a recurring thing throughout this movie where each of the people he encounters, somehow he re-encounters, but by this time they hate him. That's the other thing. By the end of the movie, like everybody's chasing Griffin Dunn around again. What I want to say is Hell's Kitchen. And so like when he's stuck in the statue thing, I think the angry bartender is in the same loft because maybe he knows the artist because they're all kind of quirky and like walks right up to the statues. Like maybe even says like, Ooh, really lifelike or something like that. And Griffin does right inside. And you're seeing the whole thing from that vantage point. I'm pretty sure that that's a thing, but I could be mixing up a few elements of it. Anyhow, the whole night proceeds, the sun rises. And if I'm not mistaken, somehow he finds a $20 bill, which, you know, the, it had flown out of his hand in the taxi in the opening scene, because again, some weird thing intervened in some weird way. I think he has a weird, crazy taxi driver. I want to say that Roseanne Arquette had like maybe written his, her number on the bill or something like that, because I think at the end, somehow he reconnects with her or something like that. And, or maybe calls her uh, and then the sun rises and he goes home. And it also has Bronson Pinchot in it. Would you watch it? Uh, yeah, so I'm significantly more likely to watch it now that you described it than I was when I was watching it as, as the trailer. Was it like a total hot mess? No, so here's the thing. So I can actually answer some of the, I don't, like, things that you don't remember because they address, oddly, a decent amount in the trailer, even though it gave me no construct as to what was actually going to happen in the movie. So wait, are, are you saying that my description plus the trailer equals, like, a, like a, a, a coherent storyline? Kind of, yeah. Whoa, all right, let's go. I want to hear about this now. Tell, would I watch it? Tell me more. So it, 
<laughs> Jeremy, would you watch After Hours? So it opens with all I saw was Eyebrow's name. So I was like, oh, cool. Eyebrow's did this. I'm surprised I didn't know that Eyebrow's did this movie. Uh, the next thing it opens with is a rotary phone just to really, really place you in 1985. Uh, and then the next note that I have immediately is what in God's name is going on? So right. it's it's the guy. It's the lead guy. It looks like he must be at a friend's house or something. And he basically is describing his night. And what he does is he mm. describes lots of the things that you just talked about. Okay. Uh, so I just wanted to leave my apartment and find this girl. So I went to this girl's house. But on my way there, the you know, on my way there, all my money flew out of the cab and just flew out the window. And it just shows like a cab. And then the guy from Slapshot was in it. And then there was uh, just like Broadway, just a street sign for Broadway. So right. I was like, okay. It's <laughs> like I guess he lost his money. <laughs> like, so I think I, one of two things: either the trailer does this clever way of telling you the story through that sort of narrative element or each person he meets, if I'm not mistaken, he's trying to explain what's happened to him all night long. And that story just sort of keeps, it's like playing that game. Like I went to a picnic and I brought a, you know, a blanket or yep. whatever. I think he keeps doing that throughout the story, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Fair. So then uh, he says that he's like trying to like meet this girl and he goes and meets this girl and she's like very like, Quentin Tarantino smoking a cigarette. And then he says that she dies and now he's in trouble. Then he's in a bar talking to a bartender who is kicking the living life out of a cash register for no apparent reason, just like drop kicking it angrily. Then he's not. In, and by the way, no one else is in that bar. Then he's in a club and there's a guy yelling at him. Who's got like an eighties mullet and like really big eighties muscles. And he screams Mohawk, this guy. What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. There's a lot of like people coming together in unity for trying to trying to like Gribbendon accidentally infuriates everybody. Yeah, that's basically so. Then the, my next note is, oh, Paul Simon. My next night note is, oh, look, Catherine O'Hara. My next note is Mr. Soft Ice Cream Truck trying to kill him. What is going on? I'm very confused. Then he screams, I'm just a word processor. Damn it end scene very confusing trailer like very very confusing trailer all right all right so yeah i i, I think i think it's piecing together a little bit i i'm really like wanting to rewatch it now more because because i want to know why it's a 90 because i think i've always enjoyed this movie actually if, if memory serves the first time i saw it i hated it mostly because of the agency thing it's always been a a, a big uh, infuriator for me in movies is when when random coincidence takes a character down the wrong arc but then as I grew older and, and rewatched it and, and had more appreciation for film and storytelling, I think I, I liked the movie. But now I want to know why it's a 90 because I don't have a this is this is a that caliber movie in my head. But I accept it to be true, if that makes sense. No, that's totally fair. And, and like, I actually am interested to watch it because, like, listen, you know, the cab driver is the lead, like one of the lead characters from Slapshot. Uh, the bartender that I was referencing is the dad <laughs> is the dad from Home Alone. Oh, it's John Hurt. Yeah. Yeah. John Hurt is the bartender. Uh, Bronson Pinchot is in it, which is great. He's wonderful. I always think of him as being the gun dealer from uh, Beverly Hills Cop, but he's been in lots of other stuff too, obviously. Uh, Cheech and Chong, I'm assuming, was that a reference to them being Cheech and Chong? Like their movies had long since come out. So was this like a fun little thing? Yeah, I think that Cheech and Chong hit a few movies in the 80s as sort of, oh, look, Cheech and Chong doing goofy stuff kind of thing. I think okay. they were sort of a vehicle for 
you know, advanced cameo status kind of thing. Okay. So my, my, my big questions, do you think Scorsese cast Griffin Dunn because he also has eyebrows like Scorsese? Yes, I would say that, you know, for all I know, this movie is like Scorsese's homage to his own life in New York City. And it's like actual events that he witnessed or something like that. Like that's I want to I'm going to go because, you know, I don't read anything about the movie other than the cast list before before we do these. So I kind of want to go go geek out on this movie a little bit. Yeah. So the, the reason I ask that is when you go into IMDb and you just go to after hours, the screenshot they have of Garrett Dunn is Griffin. looks like, <laughs> sorry, Griffin Dunn. Look, I don't know who this guy is and I'm not going to, I'm done apologizing for that. Who is he? I don't care. Whatever. Uh, his name well, is. this is one of his big movies. Did you watch, um, you, I know you watched house of lies with uh, Don Cheadle. Yes. He's, I think the rainmaker is his name or something like that. Oh, I actually like him a lot in that role. Okay. Oh yeah. He's great in that role. He looks totally different in 1985. He looks like a baby Martin Scorsese. <laughs> his big thing in the 80s, like his 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 big uh, entry on the scene was an American Werewolf in London. That was his big shot. I'm not sure why he didn't get more big movies as a result. I don't know, um, you know, if they were just, look, I mean, let's face it. There was a lot of actors like this in the 80s. You know, he's sort of an 80s guy. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so my second question is, so Rosanna Arquette, when you think like, do you think of her and is, is this the movie that you think of? What's the movie that she, that like she immediately brings to mind? No, no, no. It's the Madonna one. It's, um, what's it called? Uh, I don't know why I'm Desperately Seeking you. Susan? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I like, she's one of those names where for some reason I don't think of her. Like, I don't know. She just doesn't like... I, there's no movies that jump to me like Pulp Fiction. She comes like I think of her in Pulp Fiction. I think of her in Desperately Seeking Susan. I don't think of her in anything else, even though she probably has like 200 acting credits or something like that. It's funny, actually, while I had pulled them both up to do a quick check, they both basically had one bigger movie before this, which was Amazon. Uh, no, they both also did Amazon Women on the Moon, which is in our list to, to talk about at some point. Uh, they both had done Desperately Seeking Susan and uh, American Werewolf in London. And then this. And then both of their careers never flourished. They both had, I mean, look, compared to me and you, they've done quite well as actors and actresses, but um, they never hit that true big, you know, star status that I don't really know why, you know, I'm sure Hollywood insiders, I'm sure there's a, uh, one of those Taboola links on why Hollywood won't cast Patricia Ar uh, Roseanne Arquette anymore <laughs> kind of things <laughs> that we could click on and read a worthless story about. Yeah. Well, it's funny because Linda Fiorentino, I like, it registers for me because of Men in Black and Dogma, right? Which were right. like two like quintessential movies of my youth. So like, I remember like she is a person for those two things, although hasn't really done, I don't think of her as doing a heck of a lot after that. Uh, so I, th that's interesting. So I, I do think I want to watch this movie, but you know, most importantly, I need to know on a scale of going overboard to Hoosiers, what is After Hours? You know, I gave that a lot of thought coming into it. I got to be honest, JT. Now I'm trying to prep for that question of yours because I love the question. And I'm going to go on an 80 scale. This is Midnight Run, directed by Terry Gilliam and written by Hunter S. Thompson. Whoa. There you go. I think there I have go. to watch this movie. Yeah. I think we both, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's a, it's a worth, worth watching. 
All right. Well, this is going to go into the watchable. So that means that you now need to tell me what are my options for next week? Good, sir. All right. I have one that I, I can't, I'm not sure if I've asked you about before. So I apologize. Because now I'm tracking which of the ones you have in fact seen. So I know whether or not to bring them up. And you did just mention Overboard. Have you seen Overboard? No, I haven't. Okay. So, well, well okay. Well, that's staying in the list for sure. So um, have you seen Mannequin? Yes, I have. All right. So actually, you know what? Let's just bring Overboard to the top of the list now. And your new choices are, let's do Overboard or one that I brought up before, Manhattan Project. Uh, let's do, so Overboard, is this the, so the one that I was referencing is the one that has like baby Adam Sandler from 1989 going Overboard. Is this a different one? Oh yeah. No, it's not. It's not that at all. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if Adam, baby Adam Sandler's in it because it's, it's an 80s movie, but he's definitely not not of the two primary cast members that I'd be thinking of. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know what? Let's do Overboard. Wonderful. We'll go Overboard shortly. <laughs> uh, I love it. All right. Uh, that's it. We're good. So Overboard next week. Uh, this week, I'm going to watch, I might watch After Hours like today. This might be a thing. I'm very, I'm very, I'll tell you what, it was puzzling, but like puzzling in the most, I want to, I want to learn more way. So good for eyebrows. He did a good job and you did a great job as always, Jeremy. So thanks. Thanks buddy. And thanks Dan for contributing this week. Love to have you. Yeah. Hey, thanks Dan. And thanks for letting us be your wingman, man, everybody. Happy Hanukkah folks. You do know Hanukkah has been over for days now, right? Yeah, well, we had eight days to say it. We never did. So I figured I'd throw something in there. So happy belated Hanukkah, folks. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.